listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Luke chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 57. This kind of goes on the heels of, of where Chad had us last week as, as Jesus, in verse 51 of Luke 9, Luke tells us that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. We're, we're coming to the second half, the last half of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's been ministering in Galilee for uh, right close to two years, in and around that area. And then Luke tells us in verse 51 that Jesus, he sets his face. He's been transfigured. He's had that, that little meeting with, with he and Moses and Elijah, I think more for the benefit of those three disciples that were on that hillside with him. And, and now they are moving toward the place where Jesus will be rejected. He will suffer. He will be crucified. But then on the third day, he will rise from the dead, all in providing what is most needed in humanity, and that is payment for sin, a means by which sinful mankind can be made right and be brought into right standing with a holy God who loved us and by Christ's action gave himself up for us in our place. And for our sin, Luke says, Jesus made up his mind. He was headed toward Jerusalem. Even though that meant suffering and death, he decided, that's where I'm going. And so it's on the heels of that decision. And I love the way he handled uh, their, their inability to go through Samaria because the Samaritans didn't want to receive him. And James and John are wanting to call down fire. And, you know, you want us to do that, Lord? And, well, have you ever done that before? No, I don't want you to do that. Remember the whole dusting your feet off thing? He handled that. And it's on the heels of that that Jesus comes into contact with, Luke tells us, three individuals that he wants to highlight. And I'm sure he came into contact with a lot of folks, but, but Luke, in this, in this little section moving from Galilee, headed to Jerusalem, he shares with us this, this little scene of three individuals that he communicates with. And I think in these, in these little scenes, in these little snippets, Jesus identifies to these would-be disciples the, the nature of his mission. A mission that we're calling in our title this morning, Mission 247. Or maybe a better way of saying it is Mission 24-7. Have you ever been interested in something and had someone try to talk you out of it who's actually in that field or has done that thing. You, you go to a person and you say, hey, you know what? You, you're involved in this and I'm thinking about doing, doing this and, and I just love to pick your brain and find out how, you know, I can, can get into to that field or that arena or whatever it is that you're in that I look at and I go, I think I'm wired for that. How do I do that? And then they spend the next hour trying to talk you out of it. We've all been in that, in that situation where, where even, even maybe we have tried to talk folks out of things 
that we're involved with and they show interest and you start going, I don't think you want to do that. I, I find myself even doing that with young folks who say, hey, you know what? I think, uh, I think I might want to be a pastor one day. And I go, I don't know that you might want to think twice about that. You know, unless God's called you to do that, that could be a very miserable life for you. Don't look at that and say, hey, I think I would enjoy doing it. No, don't do that. You better get, you, you better get a, a confidence that God has equipped you and designed you for that. Not, not saying that, that pastoring has been a, you know, bad experience for me. I just know that for folks that aren't ready for that, then they're just not ready. Probably there's been some, some kids that former military people have talked to and they've said, you know what, I just can't wait to go and, and, and join and be a part of what you've been a part of. And you go, son, I just don't, I've watched you, man. You, 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 you drop out on too many things. I don't know that you need to be doing that. But you know what, what we're doing is we're just trying to make them aware that this might not be as easy as you think it's going to be. This might not have the immediate result that you have in your mind. If I just do this, then I'm going to, to, uh, to enjoy the blessing that you have after many, many years of being involved, lots of struggle, lots of heartache, and, and you're just trying to give them an idea about what they're getting into. Well, that's what we come to in Luke 9, 57 through 62. Three individuals as they are on the way to Jerusalem. And, and before we get into it, just you need to understand too, when we say that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, this is not a straight shot, okay? Jesus is going to go into Judea. He, he's going to make a turnaround. He's going to spend some more time in Galilee. But Jesus is making a turn in ministry. He's setting his sights on what to, what is to come in his life. And then he knows his ultimate destination is Jerusalem. Even though they are traveling there, they're going to go in and around the area. But that's where Luke shows us as they were going along the road, verse 57. As they were traveling along. Where? Moving from Galilee to the area of Judea, either through Samaria unwelcomed, or they may have crossed over the Jordan River to the east side and have gone down through Perea because the Samaritans did not want them in their region. But as they were going along the road, Jesus encountered three individuals. We'll see the first one in these first two verses. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. This, in, this individual, maybe it was somebody that was recently following them that had made the short journey from, from the Galilee area, or maybe this was someone that, that had only recently heard about Jesus. And now that the entourage is crossing their area, it could be that this is someone who just runs out of the house and is basically saying, hey, I've heard about you. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, one of the writers that I read behind reminds us that when you would have a popular or successful general, that there would be a lot of folks that may not have been a part of the army, may not have been a part of, of, of being required to, to, uh, to, to serve under his leadership. But there were some generals that gathered more soldiers as they went along simply because of their great success. 
When generals flourished, so did his soldiers. When a general was known to be able to take whatever city he encountered, then all of his soldiers were known and expected to enjoy the spoils of that city. We know that the general is going to lead us into a victory and then everything that's left there in the the towns, the city, and the surrounding villages are going to be ours to pick through and to gather. And, And as the generals would succeed, as the generals would flourish, so too would the soldiers. And so there was this growing speculation that maybe Jesus is the one that we're waiting for. We we know that, that Jesus point blank asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And they said, we believe that you're the Christ, the promised one, the son of God. We believe you're Messiah. And he goes, you're right, but don't tell anybody. We start spreading that around. Folks are going to want to make me king. And that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to become king like they think I'm here to become king. So as speculation is building, as more miracles and words are being said by Jesus, more and more folks are starting to realize maybe he's the one. And if he's the one, then we've been taught all of our lives in synagogue that when Messiah comes, he's going to reestablish us. He's going to overthrow our oppressors. He's going to place us in the position of prominence that God has promised. The land will be ours and so too will be the spoils. So it's probably in this thinking that this fella comes and says, Jesus, I'll go anywhere you want to go. I'll follow you anywhere. Verse 58. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now think about those guys that used to come on the the talk shows at night and they would bring animals onto their show and and, and the the person would be at the desk and they'd bring the animals and they were always creepy or had claws and whatnot. And the guy would tell the the show host about what the animal did and where it lived and its tendencies and then the person would always want the animal to crawl all over the talk show host and it was just fun. And it's normal. You watch late night TV now, you'll see the same thing. They bring those guys in. Kind of sounds like what Jesus is doing right now. God says, I want to follow you wherever you want to go. Jesus wants to give them an animal lesson about foxes and birds. And what does that have to do with anything? And Jesus says, in the natural order, the way things normally work, foxes have a place to sleep at night. It's a hole in the ground, but it's their hole. Birds have a place to nest and to to, to lay eggs and to hatch their babies and to, to carry out their natural order of things. It's only a bunch of sticks and, 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 and string, but it's their sticks and strings. And it's a secure place to be. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand that following me is mission over security. To follow means means that you embrace me and my person and you embrace me and my mission. And I'm telling you, my mission is headed south and I've got no rooms booked. I've got no place to lay my head. I'm following after God's direction. I'm following the path he's placed me on. 
If you're going to follow me, you need to understand that the normal way that things work in life, you get married, you get a job, you, you, you make up a house, you have children, you do your thing, you have a couple cars, you, you work 25, 30, 40 years, you retire, you enjoy, and you travel. And Jesus says, um, that, that's not the way my mission works. If you're saying, whoa, that's the way my life's working, well, hold on. Because maybe it is that Jesus is speaking directly into that. Is there anything wrong with a house? No, because wherever Jesus is going, he's going to be counting on the hospitality of those who have a home to invite him in. In fact, one of his disciples, Peter, had a home. His mother-in-law lived in that home. That's probably where Jesus slept a whole bunch of nights. Not on a couch, but on a pallet on the floor. Jesus actually had the opportunity to heal Peter's mother-in-law. It's a great place to be. He's thankful for homes. He's not against homes. He's just saying, if you follow me. I need you to understand that the natural order of things is not the same the direction I'm going. To follow me means that you're going to be leaving the security of your home and you're going on a journey with me and you have no idea where you're staying tonight. Because I have no idea where I'm staying tonight. But did Jesus worry about where he was going to stay at night? Not one day of his life. Why? Because he knew his father would provide for his needs. He, he knew that there would. And, and even if the father's will was that that wasn't inside. He knew that he would have plenty of, of land by which to, to lie. And, 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 and hopefully the father would provide a blanket for which to cover himself up. But if he didn't, you know what he knew? He knew that he knew how to make a fire. And what if it was raining? He knew that the father would hopefully provide him a shelter. But what if he didn't? He knew that one night out in the rain wasn't going to kill him. But Jesus was confident in the father's provision. And I just need you to understand, following me is not like following a rabbi. When you would follow a rabbi, a rabbi would choose you to follow them, and then you would go about from place to place as that rabbi traveled from city to city and taught because he was educated and, and, and had a following and, and, and was wanting to be heard by people. And so he would travel from place to place. And his entourage would be a part of that. They would be learning about him and they would be learning from him. Just gathering knowledge, gathering the ability to hopefully go back to their place, to, to, to their home, and help teach the other generations what was going on. Jesus is like, it's not like following a rabbi. It's like following a prophet. Prophet gets a message from God. Prophet has no idea where that message is going to take him. Prophet just does what God says and just has to live with the fallout. Jesus says, I want you to understand I got no idea where I'm staying tonight. If you're going to follow me, then it's a decision of mission over security. Jesus is not calling believers in this passage to homelessness necessarily. It's not what Je Jesus is not trying to say, do you have a home? And if you do, then you should feel bad about that because Jesus wants all of his followers to be homeless. That's not what he's saying. But he is calling all of us to an identification with him that is our defining priority. 
You see, so many of us, especially in the West, are defined, our defining priorities are the things that come in the mail that say, bill enclosed. Statement enclosed. Don't throw this one away because this has information that you're responsible for. And, and, and unfortunately, in the West, we are identified by the stuff we have because we owe somebody for it. Some of us owe a, a lot <laughs> for, for what we've got. And Jesus says, following me is embracing an identification that becomes the number one defining priority in your life. And it is risky. It's risky. I think about General Doolittle in World War II. Invited some, some, some army pilots on a, on a particular raid. The President of the United States after Pearl Harbor wanted to send our enemies a message and he called General Doolittle to take a group of, of pilots and some stripped-down bombers to fly over the capital city of our enemy and drop bombs on the capital city of our enemy. For what reason, Pastor Kevin? Just to, to make a statement. You know why? Because Doolittle's flyover was most likely going to be a suicide mission. Doolittle understood that to do what they were going to do was going to take all of the fuel they had, if they could even get those big birds off of the aircraft carrier, it was going to take all of the fuel that they had in order to get over enemy land, in order to drop those bombs to say to our enemy, you've awakened a sleeping giant. That's all the president wanted to do. And, and he called on this one to make that mission. And, and that general began asking pilots to volunteer. Of course we'll follow you, General Doolittle. That's absolutely we'll follow you. And, well, boys, now hold on. Before you sign your name, understand we're probably not coming back from this. Oh, okay. But, but is the cause, boys, worth the risk and and many of them said worth it sign me up and they did took off from that aircraft carrier dropped bombs on the enemy capital some of them survived some of them did not jesus saying i i hear you buddy you, you've got you've got an idea that maybe i'm the one you want to follow me yes sir wherever you go okay i understand got no idea where we're staying tonight we, we got enough food for lunch. Don't know what we're eating this evening. You, you know, we just got rejected from a whole uh, 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 area of people. Because they won't hear what we had to say. And, and you know, I'm building as many enemies where we're going as, as we're building followers. And more folks want to see me dead than want to hear what I have to say. You sure you want to follow? Because following me... It's about identifying with my mission over any other security that you might experience in this world. Chuck Swindoll said Jesus was asking for unreserved sacrifice. You know what I think? I think too often the church, especially here in America, we, we've, we've boiled down following Jesus to praying a prayer and 
and mentally consenting and confessing that I believe Jesus is who he says he is and that he died and that he rose again. And what does that get me, Pastor? Well, that gets you eternity with Christ. Amen. You can live your life however you want to live it. And that's not the gospel at all. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, that mean we got to work for our salvation? Uh-uh. No way. Salvation is by God's grace alone. God saves you. You don't save yourself. And you can't keep yourself saved. Just understand, following Jesus is not about an eternal heaven ticket. It's about embracing a mission that will cost you everything. But in comparison to what you receive will give you a net loss of absolutely nothing. But in this life, it'll be risky. It'll be difficult. And it's an it's a, it's a asking for unreserved sacrifice. We have, we have no reason to believe that this one, having heard what Jesus said, did not turn around and walk home. Really? Okay. Well, I didn't realize that. You say, why would you think that? Well, Jesus called a tax collector. He said, drop what you're doing, follow me. And, and what did Luke say? And he dropped what he was doing, follow him. Jesus said he came across some fishermen. Four of them had a, had a business going on. I mean, that was their livelihood. He said, come on, boys, follow me. Dropped their nets, left their boats, left their homes that they still owned. And followed Jesus. No reason to think this one did. But Luke tells us about the second one. The first, hearing that, that following Jesus is about mission over security. The second one, to another, he said. Now, this says that, that Jesus is traveling along, and, and it sounds like in, in very similar fashion to how he called Matthew and how he called Peter and Andrew and James and John, just walked up onto him and said, hey, follow me. That well, sounds like this is just what he's doing, traveling along. Dude comes out, looks at him and said, follow me. But the answer the fellow gave him was, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. First let me go and bury my dad. Now, this sounds like a very reasonable request to me. There's a couple of ways that you can approach this particular request. Either this man just happened to be outside, his father has very recently passed, and, and, and as a, a, a Jew following the Mosaic Code and, and, and really the natural uh, demands, they have a certain amount of time for the body to be prepared, to be buried. That's got to be done. And according to the, the Mosaic Law, God's law through Moses, then they were responsible for doing that. And so it could be that the man was saying, Jesus, I'd love to follow you. Can you give me a minute to, to bury my dad? before I come because I have that responsibility and that's God's that's God's word most likely that's not what he was saying most likely he was referring to his father that was getting up in years and this son who was expecting his father to pass and knew that that ultimately once his dad started showing signs of his age then he would be the one that the family expected to take care of him and then ultimately when he did pass he'd be the one that had to divvy out the the estate and 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 well some of that estate would be his and you know he'd have to be there to make sure his sister didn't get well wouldn't in that day but make sure my brother and law didn't get from a sister more than I wanted her to have. And you know what, well, Lord, I just got a lot going on. Can you just give me some time to get my inheritance in order and, and, and to fulfill the obligations that I have 
with my family and the expectations they have on me. Can you just give me a minute? Jesus said to him, man, this, this, is, this, is, this sounds cold what Jesus says, but it's, it's not, but it sure sounds that way. Jesus said to him, verse 60, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Man, that just sounds cold. But, but if you think about it, I think what Jesus is doing is he's, well, he's being honest. But I think he's talking about two different roads that can be taken. And I think what he's saying is, is look, it's a dead-end road just following the normal customs and doing what is expected and, and you doing this and, and then you have that and then you pass it on to them and then they have that and then they pass it on to them. That's a dead-end road. In fact, if you're not following Jesus, the Scripture's going to go on to tell, especially through John, you're already dead and you're already condemned, he tells Nicodemus. And so I think what Jesus is doing is he's helping this individual see that he's got a, a fork in the road that he needs to decide. He needs to either decide on that dead end, no matter how much inheritance he might get, no matter how pleased his family will be with him, no matter how, uh, you know, uh, beloved he's going to be for the rest of the folks in his life, that's a dead end road. And there's nothing to stop that. Or... He says, but as for you, or you could go and proclaim the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of life, which is a message of hope, which is the message of the king has come, the kingdom is ready to be revealed, and you can enter it, but only if you embrace this Messiah and receive his mission as yours. So you got, you got a couple of ways in front of you. You've got the expected way of your family, and then you got the way that's not going to make any sense to them, but it's going to lead you toward becoming a proclamator of the kingdom as a, a living citizen. Following Jesus demands a higher allegiance than even the most expected family obligation. Because there are people in the world who, who haven't followed Christ because they know they would be shunned. That, that's kind of the world that this individual is in. Because as more and more folks begin to reject Jesus in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish hierarchy, then the more likely it is for the one who accepts Jesus as Messiah is going to be shunned by their family. That happens all over the world today. All over the world, people are hearing the gospel and are responding to it knowing that they will no longer be welcome in the home of their family. Knowing that they will be shunned and considered dead. Jesus says exactly what you need to expect. But for our context, we don't experience that as much. Maybe some of you have, but, but, but it's not as normal. But here's what we do. So many of us know that, that God wants to use us and we know that God has gifted us and prepared us, but we're afraid to step out and trust Him because so many obligations are on my life. Maybe you have a family member who's, who's getting older and, and you, you know that there are opportunities for you to serve the Lord, but in their mind, you can't be away from them because they need your help. You, you, you know... I think what Jesus is saying is, you know what, sometimes, sometimes you got to say, Dad, I love you, 
And I'm going to be here for you, but God has called me to serve him. And I've got to do that. And, and you can count on me, but you need to understand God comes first in my life. You know what? Jesus is not calling us to abandon family. That's not at all. We, Paul talks to Timothy about the fact that, you know, folks aren't, folks aren't willing to take care of their family. Well, then they're a bunch of uh, jerks. You know, they know better than that. And they, that's, that's their responsibility. Jesus is not saying, I don't know you. Don't call me when you're sick. I got things to do. I got prayers to pray and verses to read and memorize. I got ministry to accomplish. You have to find somebody else to take care of you. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's talking about an, undefi- uh, an undivided devotion. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand, everything else that is expected in your life has to be set aside. In the Gospels, he, he says it this way. If you don't hate father and mother and brother and sister in comparison to the way that you love me, then you don't really love me. And you go, wait a minute, you're telling me I need to hate my wife? He's saying, in comparison to how much you love me, compared to the devotion, the, the unfettered devotion that you have for me, then it needs to look like you hate your spouse by comparison. And he's called us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So what Jesus is saying is, is that I hear you, buddy. You got a lot going on that everybody else has got going on. I got a mama in Nazareth. Who's the best child she has? Who's going to be the most responsible one to take care of her of all her kids? Now, Jesus ain't saying that, but ain't that the truth? You reckon she could trust Jonah as much as she could trust Jesus? You reckon Jude's going to think about her the way Jesus does? No. And he's saying, everybody's got those obligations, but you need to choose mission over family. Undivided devotion. Again, special thanks to Chuck Swindoll. It's similar to the way a married couple, when they get married, who who do they have to leave according to the Scripture? They have to leave father and mother and cleave to themselves. You want to ruin a marriage, husbands? Then make it a habit to follow mama over wife. That will ruin your marriage. It just will. You say, well, isn't that true about wives as well? Probably, but I ain't one of them. I'm a husband. I talk to the husband. But yes, it will if wives do the same. So you, you cut those ties and you cleave to one another. Doesn't mean that you don't love them. Doesn't mean that you don't care for them. It means that you've got a new normal. Jesus says, follow me means a new normal. New normal. All of those other ties, as important as they are, become increasingly secondary. Mission over family. We're being called to an all-consuming availability. Any of you you folks ever on call? Anybody have a job that you're on call? Yeah. What What if the boss said that you're on call all the time? You always have to be on call. You'd go, I gotta find another job. Jesus says, guess what? Following me? Two, four, seven. If you need some more numbers, three, six, five. All the time. 
Mission over security. Don't, don't expect what's normal. You, you need to get that out of your mind. You may enjoy some of those things, but those can't define you. Mission over family. You're going to have them. They're great. Love them. But they have to become secondary to me. Then last fella that he talks to, verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. This sounds very similar to what the, 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 the fellow said before. First, Lord, let me go say goodbye to my folks at the house. Well, that seems, that seems normal, right? I mean, you want them to know where you're going, right? You don't want to be a missing person uh, situation. You want to say, hey, I'm following Jesus. Just want to tell y'all bye. I want to get a hug, maybe grab a couple of things. And, and now who is it going? Oh, no, it's Jesus. He's from that, from Nazareth. Are you sure you want to follow him? Well, I mean, I, he seems like, pretty, I don't know. You got a lot of stuff going on. I think y'all think about, well, you know, you're right. I probably, let me just go say goodbye to everyone. It, it, it reminds us of a scene that you'll find if you read 1 Kings chapter 19. It was a prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah's ministry was very, was very short, but very powerful. I mean, Elijah was like one of the crowd favorite uh, prophets. And so God knew that Elijah's ministry was coming to an end. He says, here's what, here's what I want you to do, Elijah. I want you to go find a fellow by the name of Elisha. Well, that's not confusing. But Elijah was supposed to go find a fellow by the name of Elisha. And when you find Elisha, I want you to tell him that God told you to tell him that he was going to take over the prophetic ministry from, from you. Okay, Lord, so Elijah went to where Elisha was plowing with, I believe, if my memory serves me correct, I believe he had 12 yoke of oxen. So what that at least, he had like 12 oxen on the plow. That at least tells us brother had some money. He was, I mean, that just, those folks didn't come cheap. So he had means and he had enough to ground to plow that he needed 12 big ox to do it. So Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and Elijah comes up to him, takes his cloak, throws it on him. And we look at that and we go, well, that seems rude. I mean, why would he do that? Well, that was, that, hey, he, Elisha knew what was up because he knew that, that the prophet was basically saying, my ministry on you, almost like, tag, you're it. So Elisha gets this thing, and he's like, whoa, I, I'm to take over for you. Well, and, and he asks, he says, I, I want, oh, if, if, I, if that's going to be the case, now, Elijah, I, I want a double portion of, of what you got. And, and we look at that and we go, selfish? You know, what I think, I think God was going, that's what I'm talking about, boy. You want to go, I mean, you want to go 30 rounds instead of 15. That's what I'm saying. I give you that, man. But at any rate, Elisha says, sir, I, I'm going, but I just need to go tell everybody at home that I'm going. Now, when you read Kings, it's not real clear whether or not he let him go because Elijah asked him this question that kind of sounded like he was saying, what, are you serious? You got to go home. I tell you, follow me. Don't really know if he went or not, but here's what we know happened. In that idea of can I just go let them know where I'm headed, Elisha turns right around and sacrifices all 12 of the oxen. Now, that seems like overkill to me because surely Elisha had brothers, and I'm imagining they're going, what are you doing? But at any rate, Elisha was making it very clear. I'm leaving what's at the house, 
And I'm following you. He sacrificed all 12 of those animals, took the, took the plow and the yoke and broke them all up and created a fire and sacrificed his past. And, and, and all that was nostalgic to him, all of his attachments, he put right there in that field and he burned it up to the glory of God. I'm thinking, was it Cortez, the explorer? who brought those ships over, and, 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 and it was getting hard for the, the sailors in this new land that they had discovered, and we need to go back. And, and I think it was Cortez that said, Here, here's what I need us to do. I need us to get the ships, and I need us to break them apart and burn them. Because as long as there's a ship out there in the harbor, you're going to be thinking about going home. You're going to be thinking about how much better it would be than in this place that you are. But we've got things to do here. We're here and we're not turning back. If you know your Old Testament, you, you might remember a fellow by the name of Lot. Lot was the nephew of a fellow by the name of Abraham. And Lot lived with his family in a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, God decided to destroy Sodom. And, 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 and the family of Lot was allowed to leave by God's grace. But he said, don't turn around. Once you've set out away from the, from the house, don't turn around. But what did Lot's wife do? She looked back longing for what she had in this wicked city. And what did God do? God turned her into a pile of salt. Read your Old Testament. It's crazy. Turned her into a pile of salt. Why? Because she craned her neck? No. Because she showed where her heart truly was rooted back there. God said, no, no. I said, I'm destroying that. I'll let you out, but don't turn your head. What, what did the Israelites do? Just as soon as they got out of Egypt, got a little bit thirsty, got a little bit hungry. Oh, the God that brought plagues on Egypt has left us out here to die. What are we going to do, Moses? We need to go back to, we need to go back to slavery where they beat us and kept us working for 25 hours a day, 385 days a year. That's where we need to be. Yeah, that's where God began to judge them. Like, get your mind off of Egypt. Get your mind off of son. Son, you want to follow me? Good. But you got to leave the past behind. You got to embrace mission over memory. I just want to go back. I just want to. I just want to hug them one more time, Lord. I just. I just want to. I just want to get and just gather up a few things, just a few things to remind me. No, no. You need to let that stuff lay. Not that it's bad stuff. Not that they're bad people. But but I'm asking for unwavering commitment. Thank you, Mr. Swindoll. Unwavering commitment. I, I need unreserved sacrifice if you're going to follow me. You need to expect it, and you need to be willing to embrace it. I, I'm asking for undivided devotion. Everything else is going to come up, but it's secondary to your devotion to me and the mission. And I'm looking for unwavering commitment. It's similar to a soldier who must remain engaged in the urgency of the mission, no matter what's going on at home. 
How many soldiers have been on the battlefield or in training and their brides were at home birthing children? You say, how dare him? How dare her be on the battlefield when her husband is at home with cancer? Look, we we get it. You know why? Because they signed up in that field of service and the mission's urgency takes precedence over all of those other good things that are a part of their life. But Jesus says, once you put your hands on this plow, son, you need to keep a forward focus. Because if you look back while you're plowing, you're not fit for the kingdom. What, what happens when you look back while you're plowing? Well, you just got all kinds of crazy, curvy lines. Now, I'm walking straight. You hold the plow, you keep your eye on me, and you'll plow straight. But you got to say bye to all that. You say, wow, that was tough on them. Oh, (laughs) all followers of Jesus. You say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, then he expects you and me to embrace his mission over the security that is available to us. If we just work a little harder, we can have more and enjoy more. He's wanting us to set that aside in order to follow him. So I want to be a follower of Jesus. Well, then he's saying he wants us to embrace his mission over family. Not stop loving them, but set them to the side and anybody else dear to us so that we might, with, with undivided devotion, follow him. And if we're followers of Jesus, he's asking us to let the past be in the past. Oh, we can talk about it. We can be excited. We, we can praise God for the past. But he's called us to look forward and to keep following him. How, how long do we follow him? Well, till, till it's done. Is it done? His part's finished. But is he finished with us? Well, no, not yet. When will we know he's finished with us? When he comes back to get us. Then we know we're done. Until then, mission two, four, seven. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm, I'm here and I, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. Sounds like you're trying to talk me out of it. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you it's more than just getting a ticket punched. It's way more than just making a decision for the Lord and then going on living your life however you want to. Uh, Jesus said, no, no, it's, it's all in. It's all in. Now, do we find ourselves as followers of Jesus in and excited and hot and then all of a sudden we get distracted? And we fall off and the next thing you know, we've been, we've been two, three days just just bogged down in what we want to do maybe we find ourselves a couple of weeks couple of months maybe you're maybe you're here today saying you know what pastor kevin there was a time that i man i put all the cards in on christ i did man i laid my life down everything i i was i was his and he was mine and i will follow him wherever he goes no matter what it costs but you know i kind of got distracted I fell off the wagon a little bit and i'm sitting here today it's honestly it's been a good five years since uh since I walked with Jesus, does that, mean that, uh, does that mean that you are out of the family? No. It just means that you got too much stuff in the way that, that, would, that would easily have a, hey, um, you won't confess that as sin? 
Would you like to confess that as an idol that you've put in my place? Hey, hey, how about this? Would you like to say, Lord, I've been distracted, and, but I want to be back following you again. And he'd say, what's he say? Get in here. Come on, get in here. Like that daddy of the prodigal. Prodigal went out, wasted it, made a, just an idiot of himself, and then decided, what am I doing here? I'm going to go home. And what did he find at the end of the road? Daddy, come on, come on, get in here. So maybe it is that you've been following Jesus, but you've just kind of been doing life on your own. Well, today would be a great day for you to say, hey, Lord, I've been sidetracked, but uh, you take me back. I, I, I won't confess my sin. I won't, I won't be back with you. And he's like, get in here. But seriously, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, count the cost. Don't, don't, don't jump in thinking that it's just a pie in the sky. All my life's going to be right and everything's going to be rosy and fun. <laughs> That's not at all what he said. Now, does it ultimately lead to absolute glory? Well, sure it does. But we got to walk through a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache on the way there. For the cause of the gospel. Communicating the life that we have through the death that he died. And the resurrection that paid and guaranteed our salvation. Amen? Because I know what's coming next week, I want to give us some thoughts and reminders for Oasis Church as we, as we consider in seven days we're going to get back together and, and we're going to talk about where we think we're headed. This passage gives us some reminders, and here they are. Ready? Following Jesus as a church. Reaching and teaching as a church, making that our focus is risky and full of earthly and financial and reputational uncertainty. Reaching and teaching will cost us, and it may cost us things that we weren't thinking we needed to let go of, but it's worth it. And it's the call that he has. So as a church, we intend to embrace the risk. Throw all our cards in on the mission, no matter what it costs us. As a church, following Jesus' call, reaching and teaching that he's called us to do. If we make that our priority, it's more important than any opinion about how it ought to be done. Any competing opinions about where it ought to be or what it ought to look like. Because the mission is more important than all of those other, all of those other uh, expectations. And for us as a church following Jesus, deciding to reach and teach, cannot chase what is in the past. Whether that's been a success or a failure... If we're going to reach and teach as a church, if we're going to follow Jesus like he called, then we've got, to, we, we, we've got to deny the desire to look back. We've got to put our hands on the plow. We've got to move forward. Do you reckon that, that Christ has equipped this body to fulfill his purpose in this time? You, you think that's possible? Do you think that's certain? 
that Christ has equipped this body with everything we need to accomplish his purpose right here. You think that's a reality? Hands on the plow. We got to put them on it. We can't be looking back. See, I thought that was for next week. It is. So stand with us together. We're